Hello and welcome to the Penny Lane Podcast with Christopher Yule of 10 Minute Stock Trader. Christopher is a wealth of knowledge and I know you guys are going to enjoy this interview. Enjoy! This episode is brought to you by Penny's Going and Raw. If you guys could please do me a favor and go on Apple iTunes and give us a five-star rating and write us a review, plus go to our YouTube channel and subscribe, it would mean the world to me. Honestly, I appreciate you guys. Thank you. The stock market is hotter than ever right now, and traders are taking advantage. But what does that mean for the people who still haven't started trading? The market can be a little intimidating at first, but you don't have to be alone in the learning experience. We at the Pennies Going In Raw podcast are here to help you. I'm Dan, and with my co-host, Hugh Henney, we make the stock market a fun but informative experience for our listeners. We offer knowledge for all levels of traders, from beginners to those who do it full-time. On PGIR, we discuss up-to-date news about the stock market and interview other traders who all started out just like us and made it big. You'll hear from Hugh and other multi-millionaire traders, founders and CEOs of companies, Fintwit superstars, and even professional athletes. Have you ever thought about investing your hard-earned cash but don't know where to start? Do you have money just sitting in your savings account collecting dust? We were all there once, too. Listen to Pennies Going In Raw on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, Christopher. Welcome to the Penny Lane Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, we're thrilled to have you. Justin, it's been a couple months. Glad to have you back. It's been a couple episodes, but thanks. I'm also glad to be here. Sure. A couple months, a couple of, I feel like I haven't seen your face in ages, mm-hmm. other than this weekend when I did see it at a family gathering, but. That was four days ago, so. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Christopher, do you want to start by giving us a little backstory about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, name is Christopher Ewell. I, uh. I run the website 10minutestocktrader.com where we uh, help traders of all skill levels take the guesswork out of trading in only 10 minutes a day. And a lot of people, when they hear 10minutestocktrader.com, they think, you know, uh, scalping strategies or day trading, right? It's kind of the opposite of that. It's it's managing a portfolio, making all the moves that you need to make in about 10 minutes a day. In fact, uh, I, I once had the opportunity to learn from uh, market wizard Tom Basso. And uh, he was telling me that he had his strategy down to 20 minutes a day. And he's like, Chris, I need to learn from you if you got yours down to 10. And I'm like, no, sir, no, 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 no. You're, you're the pioneer here. I'm just following your footsteps. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, uh, I've been trading uh, since really 2009, 2008, 2009 timeframe. And um, I always knew I wanted to be a trader. And maybe you guys have felt that too, or maybe somebody in your audience has as well. But uh, I grew up uh, really, really modestly uh, in a double wide mobile home in rural Texas. And uh, when I was a kid, my dad would buy these single stock shares of, uh, of companies and give them as gifts. In fact, I have one on my wall over there. When, uh, when I graduated college, he bought me a, uh, a stock for Sam Adams. And, and it says, um, here are some liquid assets for your portfolio. And uh, <laughs> that's pretty funny. But um, yeah, I went to school and uh, you know, I went to a, a small school in Arkansas. Didn't at all come from a uh, silver spoon background, I guess you could say. Uh, but I realized my love of finance in my undergrad, and uh, then I went on my MBA and worked in the student-managed portfolio there, and that's kind of where I got my feet wet. And then around that time frame, like I said, it was around 2008, 2009, uh, left school, and I figured I had to get serious, right? So I kind of put the trading aside, uh, got a job in corporate finance, and there was one day where uh, I heard somebody say in the office one day, they were like, hey... Um, if you feel like Deutsche Bank is going to go down so much, why don't you go out and buy puts on it? And like in the back of my mind, I'm like, I know I've heard about puts, but I don't remember what puts are. And so uh, I was one of those nerds from college who kept all their textbooks. So I pulled out the textbook, which I kept on my desk at the time. And, and it was one of those textbooks where it's wider than it is tall, right? So I set it down on the table, you know, the earth shakes a little bit. And there were two tabs in this 900-page book, and uh, one of the tabs was for bonds. And maybe you guys know that bonds are wacky, is how I describe it, where the price goes up and the yield goes down and vice versa. But the other tab was for options. And still thinking back on that, it, it's it's so crazy to me because, like, that very day, I opened the book up, and I found the textbook definition of what a put option is, where it grows in value as the price of the share or price of the stock goes down. 
And like, it just, it, it blew my mind, right? Me from basically 10 years before had the foresight to put this tab in here so that when I needed it on this day that I could find it. And it was just one of those moments where it was like, well, this feels like I'm on the right track. So I did what any good millennial would do, right? And I, I Googled the, the mess out of learning how to trade. And of course, I found all kinds of resources out there, some better than others. And of course, I went down the, uh, the path that weren't so good initially. And um, I, I, was, I was convinced, right? I studied and I planned and I was like, I know everything there is to know about trading. And I'm going to trade options and I'm going to sell these options out of the money and it's going to be so easy. I'm going to have this 80% win rate and make all this money, right? So I'm like, well, I, I, need, some, I need some money to trade with. And so I, I, I had this uh, 401k that I literally never even contributed to. And I was like, well, maybe I can trade with that. And I had to have $5,000 to open my account. And when I went to uh, withdraw the money, the penalties and everything else that goes with an IRA, the check that I got in the mail was for $5,000 and 15 cents. And I was like, whoa, this is another sign that I'm on the right track. This is absolutely crazy. So I started to trade and um, within 60 days, I blew up 67% of my account. And that's usually how it goes, right? You think that you know everything, you get to trading and then uh, blew up my account as fast as I, I possibly could. Now, Someone told me later on that I actually beat the statistics where it's 90% of traders lose 90% of their accounts in the first 90 days. I, I actually was smart enough to realize that two-thirds of, of losses that I, I need to probably stop at that point. <laughs> but um, I, I, I remember trying to explain this to my wife, and maybe you guys have had a, a similar situation, trying to explain it to my wife and saying, you know, um, I lost you know a good amount of money. And, and I'll, I'll never forget the day we're driving up the Dallas North Tollway, and I was like, yeah, I kind of messed up. And, and, uh, she looked at me and she was like, can't you learn to trade with fake money? And I was like, Oh, actually, yeah, that's a really good idea. <laughs> <laughs> so brilliant. I, you know, I spent the next, that's brilliant of, of the wife. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so I spent the next several months learning, practicing with, uh, with, uh, 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 a paper trading account and really feeling like I had this thing under control. Right. And so I started getting back in the market and um, I was convinced, just absolutely convinced that the uh, iron condor strategy uh, was like the way to go, right? Because in theory, if the stock moves up or if it moves down or if it stays in a, in a range, then um, you're going to make money. And I was like, this is the easiest thing ever, right? All I have to do is put these iron condors on. I can do it every week, just rake in the money. And somehow I was that like 1% of traders who just couldn't be successful with iron condors. Like I just could not ever make money. And at the end of the year, I was looking back on it and I found that I had an 80% win rate in, with these iron condors, but 90% of all the dollars that I lost came from this one strategy. And I was like, well, clearly I'm doing something wrong. I have to do something different. But specifically the second time I blew up my account, I was at Disney World. I remember I'd followed these traders, and, and maybe you guys have even seen them too. They're, they're traders out there that, you know, have a, uh, a monkey or a cat or whatever for their profile picture. You know, Golden Monkey 69 or something like that. And I was convinced that Golden Monkey 69 knew exactly what he was going sure. to do, right? And he was saying at the time, gold was the best buying opportunity of all time ever. So, of course, I leveraged to the hilt. I bought every option I could. GDX, GDXJ, GLD, you name it. I, I bought it. And I remember this was when gold was in a clear downtrend and I clearly had no idea what I was doing. And I went to Disney World with my family and just every day pulling up my phone and just, you know, looking at, again, I blew up my account, right? Just staring at it in disbelief while I'm at Disney World, trying to trying to be at the happiest place on earth, sure. but I couldn't, right? Really, really hurt bad. And then at that point, I'm like, I got to do something different. So um, I started... Uh, networking and speaking to and learning from uh, some some really incredible people who I'm so grateful for um, and started the podcast around 2018. By May 2019, the podcast had been in the top 10 of the iTunes Investings podcast, which you can ask me how. I have no idea. Like, it, I, I don't know at all how Congratulations. that Congratulations. Um, but, oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, but at this point, we've had 600 episodes hundreds and hundreds of interviews. Uh, but there was one day where 
And it's funny, you can actually follow, like if you went back into the archives and listen to now, you can hear how much my trading has changed. And specifically, there was one day where I was talking to Steve Burns. Maybe you guys know Steve Burns. He's on, he's on Twitter. Uh, he's an author. He's got like half a million followers at this point. But Steve told me one day, he said, yeah, I used to trade that way too until I realized that I wanted to make money. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, okay, maybe I should just shut up and listen, right? So I spent several years learning how to trade the wrong way. And then I had to spend several more years figuring out how to trade the right way. Because the, the way that I learned to trade initially was the, the selling the options that I mentioned earlier. And there are some pretty big places out there that'll teach you, hey, just sell out of the money options all day, every day. You'll be fine forever. And I don't know how, but I was like the person who just could not make that work. So I started interviewing these people, started talking to them, started working with them one-on-one. -on -one, and uh, I got to learn from people like Mark Minervini. Uh, he's the U.S. investing champion for 1997 and 2021. He's a personal friend of mine. Really love him. Uh, Tom Basso, Jack Schwager, uh, Larry Height. He was the first billion-dollar hedge fund manager. Um, yeah, and uh, obviously read hundreds and hundreds of books on how to trade. And um, you know, it, it's been an incredible journey. And uh, this last year ended up at 172%. So I, I've come like full circle like totally having no idea what I'm doing to like being really, really, really well off because of this and, and having the confidence yeah. that I know what I'm doing at this point, which has been, um, that's been monumental, right? Being able to, to really see, Hey, you know what? You screwed up a couple times before, but that's okay. You can learn how to do it. And I, I would say for anybody who's listening to this, trading is not you're born with it or not. It's a skill like anything else, right? If you learn to play clarinet in high school, you had to learn how to push all the keys and you had to, read the music on the page and it's exactly the same with trading. It's a skill you can develop. Question. So anyone who follows me on Twitter or listens to this podcast knows just like how uh, much of a struggle I've been having the last while or whatever. And I very publicly said through four weeks ago that I had like a very rock bottom moment. Like I was like, this, it can't get worse than this. And, um, since then, it's been a very nice uh, build back up to because I felt I was so humbled. I was like, well, I'm finally going to like follow these rules that I have for myself and trade the way that I know how to, you know, did you have did you have one of those moments where you just were like, what I'm doing isn't working or were you did you just finesse your way into having profits and learning how to trade. It really was uh, a rock bottom moment, like you were saying there, because it was it was a point where, where I said to myself, I'm tired of losing. I'm tired of fighting this battle that I know I can win. People are successful at this. Why have I had difficulties with this? I, clearly, there is a way to do it, right? And I'm a, I'm a huge reader. And um, for 2021, one of my goals was to read 100 books, and I read 110 last year. Um, and now, now I, that was the best year of my life. So I'm like, well, I got to do this from now on every year. Um, but, you know, some of the things is like taking a step back and, and evaluating, like, why did this go wrong? Right. I, I take meticulous notes, and maybe this is something if you don't do already, it's something you should incorporate. I take meticulous notes on every single trade I make still to this day. Why I entered why I exited, what did I see, you know, but the, at the main, the main point is like, I never predict anything. Um, I, I learned trend following, which, you know, sounds so easy. And in practice, it can be if you just learn to read it like uh, notes on a page for music notes, right? Because if you just let a moving average just show you which way it's going. And I, I, I remember specifically, guys, when, um, when I first started like figuring out charting, uh, asking Steve Burns, I was like, hey, how do I even know which way the trend is? Right? To me, it's just candles on a page. You know, I have no idea which way the trend's going. It's like, just throw a moving average on there. Any moving average you want, and it'll tell you which way it's going. I was like, oh, that was actually pretty easy. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it, it really becomes, uh, for me personally, I, I have a very structured, very set of, uh, of uh, very structured set of rules. And in fact, later on, I would love to actually go through step by step how I trade for you guys and for, for your audience out there. And like, there's nothing for me to hide. Like I say, I, I've had 600 episodes. I do a daily uh, trading room with a, a trading group that I have. 
And um, we just follow the steps every day. And there are plenty of days when there's nothing to do. And, you know, that was something that I learned from Minervini. He's like, you got to have sit-out power. There's going to be days or weeks where there are no setups, and the only thing you do is hold cash. But you would be surprised how hard it is for someone to just sit and hold cash because you feel like you got to be doing something. If you are if you call yourself a trader, you got to be doing something. When there are days when cash is the best trade there is. Before you get into your rules, I am curious, though, because you did talk about that this is not a day trading. I mean, your method, you know, what you talk through is is more of a, I don't want to call it portfolio management, but it's more of a, it seemed like you were alluding to the fact that it was more investing versus trading. But you're also kind of talking through some trading rules as well, right? Can you Can you just describe the difference before we jump into it? Oh, without a doubt. So, Investing, in my opinion, is a longer-term time horizon, right? In fact, I was on uh, Benzinga earlier today, and somebody was like, well, should I get out of this index fund? And I said, well, what's your time horizon? Like, are you planning on keeping this for the next 20, 30, 40 years? If so, now may be a great time to dollar-cost average down. But that's not how I trade, actually. Um, I trade at the end of the day, the last half hour of the day. That's where all the liquidity comes through. It's where all the big institutions and hedge funds and everybody else are trading. So I'm always there at the end of the day making my moves. And really, realistically, there are days where it takes like 40 seconds, right? It's like, do I need to exit anything? No. Do I need to put anything on? No. Then there's days where it might take 20 minutes or so because it's like, okay, I got this thing I need to do, that thing I need to do. And the longest portion of my strategy is just backtesting. And it's not that the backtesting is hard. It's that there are days when so many opportunities come through. you got to kind of fight. And say, okay, which one is the best opportunity? Because, you know, and a lot of what I do is just filtering down, right? If I start at 500 stocks in the S&P 500, which handful actually makes sense for me to trade today? So let me do this. Can I screen yep. share? It's at the bottom. I'd love to. Yeah, That's all right with the bottom guys. where it says share. Here's a new fun tool. Yep. So when I am in, uh, we call it the 10 minute trading room. And this is the strategy that we have here. It's called the 10 minutes to freedom strategy. I actually let uh, our partners inside the, uh, the trading room name it. I had a competition one day and I'm like, what do you want to, what do you guys want to call this thing? I don't know. Y'all pick it. And so this is what they came up with, but it starts with the market, then the charts then the relative strength and the back test and liquidity. And while that sounds like a lot, there are portions where it gets really, really easy. So for example, uh, when we look at the market trend, so we always start at the market, it's always a top-down approach. When we start with the market, we look at a couple things. First is the S&P 500 moving averages, then the MMFI, which is the market breadth, and then we do use an artificial intelligence provider, which gives us like a, uh, mm-hmm. we call it our market timing signal, and it's finclub.ai, and like you just need their basic package, it's like 20 bucks, something like that. But it, that has actually saved us a lot of headache especially this week, right? This week, Fin Club was saying things like, um, it's going to be bullish, it's going to be bullish. And I had these short positions on and I wasn't adding to anything short. And then as you've seen, you know, the, the market's up like mm-hmm. 5% in two days, right? So it, it keeps you out of trouble is the way I look at it. Um, but yeah, I just look at a handful of things for the market. And then if they all line up, then it's an offensive day. We make moves happen, right? We put on trades. We make sure to... Um, start with our existing positions, because with a trend following system, if it's working, you have to press your advantage, right? For me, when I hear somebody that averages down, um, I get really, really nervous, because I'm like, if you're averaging down, Mm -hmm. you're already losing, and then you're adding to a losing position, and it's not in the trend that you need it to see. So I'm always averaging up when it's an offensive day. Then there's defensive days. Defensive days are where you're already in the market, you already have positions on, but you're not uh, putting anything new on, right? So for example, the last few days have been a defensive day for me because we've been set up short, but our market signals are saying, hey, there is a uh, counter trend rally potentially coming up. Don't put anything on. So with defensive days, you're only either holding cash or you are uh, taking positions off. And then finally there's transition days. And a transition day is where you're just waiting. You're not in the market. There's no valid market signal, because remember, you always start with the market, and you just wait. You hold cash, 
And one of my favorite quotes from, from my friend Minervini, he says, wait in cash for proper setups. How long? As long as it takes. And I mean, like there, there can be weeks or months that go by where you just don't do anything. There's nothing to do. Uh, but then after the market, we go to our charts. Now, the easiest way for me to describe how to read a chart is you want to see all the moving averages looking in one direction, right? If, if they all look like this, imagine each one of my fingers is moving average. If they all look like this, it's bullish. If they all look like that, it's bearish. And basically we just run a scanner and that scanner pulls out, hey, is everything bullish? Is everything bearish? End of story. Now, of course, there are times where something is uh, overbought or oversold. You can kind of avoid that. Uh, if you use, uh, it's an hmm. indicator called the Keltner channel. So this uses ATRs. ATR is the average true range. And you can put this uh, above or below a moving average. And we say, hey, if it's two average true ranges above the 20-day, it's overbought. Just wait for it to come back. Yes, of course, it's all looking in one direction, but the opportunity may not be as bullish if you, if you just wait a couple days. So that, I mean, going through the market, going through the charts, you're on the scanner, you check the three positions uh, mm -hmm. earlier, right? That, that takes you like 30 seconds total. And then on, on defensive days, you just don't do anything. You know, at the most, that's 20 seconds and you're done. And then relative strength. Now, unfortunately, this is not something that I can pull um, inside of TrendSpider. So that's a, the, the yeah. trading platform I use. I know you guys have talked to Jake before. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a huge advocate for TrendSpider, especially their backtesting feature, which is what we'll talk about next. But with relative strength, after I get my list of stocks out of the charts, which takes you know 30 seconds to run the scanners, I have a Google sheet that I drop these into and it compares side by side to uh, the S&P 500. Now, specifically this, I really got from IBD, Investors Business Daily. They talk a lot about relative strength and that will, if you, if you in include relative strength, totally change the game for you. Because let's say 100 stocks drop out on the charts, right? 100 stocks drop out through the, uh, the scanners. Do you guys have a, a, you know, time to trade 100 stocks in a day? Right. I don't. I mean, that's a lot of work. But if you can see, hey, compared to a baseline, are these stronger or weaker than the baseline? Mm -hmm. Are they getting stronger or weaker compared to the baseline? I describe it as if uh, if the S&P is moving at uh, 100, 100 miles an hour, and Justin's driving his car and he's going 110, he's got a higher relative strength. But there's an additional component to that. Is he driving at 110 mm -hmm. with the gas pedal flat down, speeding up? Or is he at 110 hitting the brakes and slowing down? So there's another, I, I call it relative strength delta. It's the relative strength rate of change. And like I say, I just throw it in a Google sheet and it runs super, super, super fast. The calculation is, because yep. like I say, I'm not holding anything back here. This is just how it works. The calculation is the average gain divided by the average loss over the last 14 periods compared to the spies average gain to average loss right and you just do the math and so you have a calculated scanner that pulls this up that that you sub subscribe to or where's that work being done uh i built this actually i'll show okay. you all real quick very cool hang on it is uh, uh pull it up over here so i i just named it the relative strength scanner you can put it in any stock right so like apple google Facebook, whatever, mm -hmm. and uh, let the data pull through. I take a second here. And then it'll tell you the relative strength. So like Apple's at 80% of the strength of the SPY. Mm -hmm. Google's at 97% of the SPY. We can put something in like USO, oil, right? That's been on a roar lately. And this is where I was saying, you know, you can compare it, like the speed it's traveling mm -hmm. And you can see that it has applied the brakes, right? It is down 48% on its relative strength compared to uh, the S&P 500. And where I figured this out was I was trading uh, trading commodities a couple of years ago, and they were they were going gangbusters, right? It was just really off the charts, and I was I was making tons of money, and then it just stopped. <laughs> like all of a sudden, it hit a wall and started to come back down. The relative strength was still super high because compared to the spy, you know, it had a huge lead. But when I found the relative strength delta, which is the rate of change of the uh, relative strength there, it's like it hit the brakes and it was down like negative 50% where its relative strength was actually at 250. So I took what Investor's Business Daily does and I kind of added another layer onto it. 
So also, you might notice these things over here on the side. Uh, the market posture, like we talked about earlier, Fin Club, MMFI, exactly what we put in there. And then I am a huge, huge, huge advocate of position sizing. So for the members of the trading room, I have this available mm -hmm. risk, uh, risk calculator for them. And when a stock sets up, you know, I want you to make sure that you're not risking too much, right? If you, if you have nothing else that can protect you, it's your position size. I, I mean, even if something just like crashes all of a sudden, if you only are risking 2% per trade, 1% mm -hmm. per trade, whatever that is, you're not going to get wrecked, right? It's not, it's not Wall Street bets. This is not how the successful traders out there work. They, they don't YOLO into everything. Um, so after relative strength, I backtest everything. Now, backtesting is, in my opinion, probably one of the best things that any trader can do. It's what I do on Benzinga every week, and, and it's really just proving to yourself that your strategy works in this market on this stock. And... Like there are times where all I want to see is that it has a positive expectancy. Like think statistics here, right? We need to have a sample size that's big enough and we need to make sure that our results will show a positive expectancy. In fact, on the next here, uh, we're making sure that it is greater than zero because sometimes you run it, it's negative zero or negative whatever and you just skip it. And then we test the best trend line. I usually only trade on the five or the 10 day exponential which is really close, it's really tight, on purpose, right? I'm not trading on the 50-day where I can just let something run forever and then I have to give up 20, 30, $40 in order to get my exit signal. So I keep it either on the five or the 10-day. And then what's really cool in TrendSpider is the backtest mm -hmm. projection. I'm sure you guys have seen it too. When you run a backtest, it'll, it'll plot out on the chart exactly what the backtest would show. Now, granted, past performance is not indicative hmm. of future results. But for me, I'm looking to see where I'm going to get in the first time and the second time and the third time. And if that back test shows, hey, it's going to go, not going to, it could go past the second and third buy points, then I know comfortably with a lot of confidence, hey, I can get in. And I know I'll probably scale into this if it continues to work. Are you back testing plays that came up that, that were on your scanners that you also were looking at the relative strength that you thought could have worked but didn't actually trade? Or are you also backtesting everything? I mean, you know how your trade ended on TrendSpider, right? So are you kind of just looking at, I mean, if you put your old trades into TrendSpider, it's, it gives you every bit of information that you really need. It's not truly backtesting. So, but are you using the data from the relative strength calculator to then backtest that stuff to say, you know, the next time I see this, I feel pretty good about it? Yes, in a way. And I do want to have a meeting with TrendSpider to see if this is something we can build, right? I don't need to be compensated for it. I want to see it on the chart, right? I want to see a line that says this is the relative strength compared to the SPY, right? Uh, kind of like IBD has in their, their MarketSmith platform. I think that would be incredibly useful and something I'm going to scan on anyway. It would just save me a step in order to have that inside of TrendSpider already. Uh, but yeah, it, at this point, right, it starts at 500 then maybe it's 100 that pull through on the charts. Mm -hmm. Then maybe it's 15 or 20 on the relative strength. Then maybe it's three or five on the back test, right? We, it's, it's all about filtering down. What's the best opportunities to get today? So the next is liquidity. And I gotta tell you a story. When I was trading uh, iron condors and I was trading around earnings, there was uh, a time where I, so the people I'd learned from said, hey, you can trade earnings on, uh, 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 with an iron condor, you know, you sell out of the money calls and out of the money puts and, and that implied volatility will collapse and you'll make money every time. It's just how it works. And clearly it doesn't. But one of the things I didn't realize was the liquidity issue. So I'm selling an iron condor around AKMI, Akamai, and uh, I had everything perfect, right? I mean, the, the stock was inside the range, the volatility collapsed, but I couldn't get out of the trade. Like I'm putting orders in, I'm putting orders in, and finally, I'm like, uh, limit orders. And finally, I'm like, I, I have to get out of this before something goes wrong. So I hit a market order. And a trade that should have won ended up being a giant loser because that was the only place that it was going to get filled. And I was like, this is some horseshit, right? I was pissed. And so from that moment on, I'm like, if it doesn't have liquidity, I don't even want it. If you cannot get in and out of a stock without giving up 
uh, well, you're going to have to give up a couple dollars here and there. But you don't yeah. have to give up 20 or 40 or $80 here and there per contract. You know what I mean? You don't have to do that. So here, let me show you my uh, my criteria. So first, it needs to have at least a million shares every day. At least. And then I'm looking, so on options chains, 21 days to expiration. And the way that I got that was I had a, a guest on before and he was like, when you sell something, keep it the time frame as short as you can, right? Because when you're selling something, you're taking on additional risk versus buying it. So keep that as short as you can. But if you're buying something, make that two to three times as long as you would want to sell it. So I went through, like I said earlier, I keep meticulous notes and my average holding time it's around five to six days on a winner and one to two days on a loser. And so I'm like, okay, well, this is plenty of time to let something work for me. And on occasion, you got to roll it out in time because it continues to work and that's okay. Uh, but I need at least 250 open interest on the strike, right? Because sometimes you can get into a big stock, but particularly this week has no liquidity, but you can go a week before, a week after and see a lot more open interest. Less than a 50 cent bid ask spread. We talked about that a minute ago, right? You're going to have to give up some no matter what, but it doesn't have to be all that much. So I say less than 50 cents, which in my opinion is pretty generous. But then I always go deep in the money. And some people would think that this is, you know, the, the wrong way to trade. But the way that I learned to trade from Larry Height, so he's one of the market wizards. Uh, I have a quote. It's up on my, uh, my board over there. He says, commit very little capital, take on very little risk, and still make a significant return consistently. So talking to him, talking to uh, Tom Basso, the way that successful traders get into a position with massive leverage is by doing in the money, deep in the money options, right? We're not buying anything out of the money. The reasoning behind that is because you really get about 70 to 90% discount versus buying the stock outright. So Justin, it's like if you were to buy 100 shares of Apple, let's just say it costs you $14,000 to get into, I could go buy a deep in the money contract and I might have to pay $900 to get into, maybe $1,200, right? So by doing that, I'm getting a massive discount on the price of the stock, yet still getting 80 delta. So about 80% of what the stock price would actually do moving in the direction I want. And of course, if, if it works against me, I cut it fast, right? There's no reason to keep a loser. But if it's working for you, you compound those gains, you stack winners, and you're, you're averaging up. And the way that I do that is with uh, deep in the money options. So yeah, there's liquidity. And then finally, it's position size. And I mean, anybody can calculate this, right? This is not, this is not rocket science. But the position size is basically your account balance multiplied by your risk percent. Now, I do this by ATR. And by ATR... Uh, that's on every chart out there, but ATR will allow you to balance the risk appropriately. So you can have the same amount of risk in Coca-Cola as you do in Tesla. That's why you include the ATR. And that's, that's something, uh, the turtle traders, maybe have you guys heard of the turtle traders? No, but I guess I'll be looking no? that up shortly. Oh my gosh. You guys have yeah, to learn about the turtle stare, traders. Sorry. This, so there was an experiment run by, uh, by in fact, this man here, hang on. I always have his quote right here. Uh, Richard Dennis. So Richard Dennis, by the time he was 29, had made $290 million trading commodities. And he was like, I can teach anyone to trade. And his colleague was like, no, you can't. Trading is a skill you're born with or not. And he's like, well, let me show you how it's done. So he had a, uh, a group of people that he called the turtle traders. And he taught them his rules. And several of them now are, you know, infinitely wealthy. But the point is that he balances the position size using ATR so that he can have the exact same position size, and like I said, between Coke and Tesla, which are two very different stocks. But if you balance the position size using the average true range, you'll know, hey, I might have to buy two shares of Tesla and a thousand shares of Coke to have a similar amount of risk. And that's what he's trying to do here is balance between the two. And this, I love this quote right here. And this is why I have no problem sharing a step-by-step -step how we yeah. do our trading. Because I, he says right here, you could publish the rules in a newspaper and nobody would follow them. The key is consistency and discipline. And honestly, that's why I have uh, this, this PowerPoint here. And I go through it every day, right? These are my rules. I need to know A, B, C, and D. And I follow it step-by-step-by-step.
And by doing so, I mean, it, it totally yeah. makes life a lot easier. <laughs> but yeah, at the end of the day, mm-hmm. position size will save, save your backside if things go wrong. Uh, that's, that's the easiest way to put it. I have this great quote that I found one day. Uh, this person on the internet, he said, uh, your offensive weapon is your strategy your uh, positive expectancy that you know you've proven works. Your defensive weapon is your position sizing. If you keep your position size in check, you're going to be fine. But most of all is the trading psychology, which is balancing the two. And uh, I got to tell you, like every day inside the trading room, I talk to people is all about, you know, here's a strategy, but we're also going to talk about trading psychology, right? Because there will be times where there's a string of losers and, you know, Blaine, it happens, right? That doesn't mean that your strategy is wrong. It just means that, you know, over the frequency number of occurrences, this is a pocket of losers and you're going to have a pocket of winners. But the objective here is to keep those losers small so that when you do have your winners, they can be so much bigger than those losers. And you don't have to have a huge win rate. You just have to let your profits be bigger than your losses. So just going back, I'd like to go back to your, uh, deck real quick. Just you, you were talking about, I mean, before look, Absolutely. liquidity is, I'm sorry, before position sizing is liquidity. And I had a specific question. You were, um, I'm sorry, before, yeah, before position <laughs> sizing is liquidity. I had that right. Okay, good. I passed the test. So, mm-hmm. so you were kind of talking about, you know, a, a, as the momentum is, is going in your direction, you keep adding into those winning trades, right? And you're, you're doing a lot of options trading? Yeah, basically all options So trading. I've got, yeah, so I've got a pretty basic fundamentals question here. You're buying contracts that are 21 days out. Do you keep adding to the same contract or are you buying further contracts out? So the way that it works, and this is the way the turtle traders do it, this is the way, you know, successful traders do it, is they, they decide on a unit size, right? And so Justin, your unit size may be one, Mine may be seven and Blaine's may be 42, right? So when you add to positions, you're always adding that number of units and in that same uh, cycle as well. Now, there will be times like this week, I had to roll some forward from March to April. They were still winning. They were still going. It was a short Peloton and short Fastly and they were great trades. Uh, But, you know, at some point in time, the options will expire. And Mm -hmm. so we just got to move that forward, right? It's like... uh, like anyone does whenever they uh they're rolling futures contracts and in a a way if you think about it this way the biggest traders ever used futures contracts by using deep in the money options you're getting a very similar structure as to futures contracts but you have the underlying liquidity on a stock versus like i only have corn or only have oil or natural gas whatever now you basically have the field of every stock out there as long as it meets liquidity requirements, you can have a similar setup as the trading futures. Because the futures, you can put a margin of like 500 bucks per contract, right? And you can control $100,000 worth of uh, of the underlying. And this is pretty similar in that regard by going with the deep in the money options. So speaking of liquidity, which are, are, you, are, are you looking at an options chart or the common chart to, to fit? figure that out or both uh what do you mean what is a commons chart <laughs> that's my answer I don't sorry know just, the, just just the, the underlying common, stock. just the yeah. common stock oh just right? like a, just a regular like chart a, if, yeah oh, okay right. okay okay uh yeah absolutely i mean i'm looking at the charts clearly uh to to find the trend uh but then i'm looking at the uh the options uh uh, uh options chain right just the flow yeah yeah but you know, there's people who look at level two and, and other detail, and maybe you guys do. I have no idea, <laughs> okay. not at all, how you use that. Uh, then other people will trade candlesticks. I couldn't tell you a single candlestick. Uh, then other people they use patterns on a chart, uh, like an upside down cheesecake staircase. That's what I, you know, an example I use, right? I don't know any of that. I just follow the trends. And yeah. I don't mean that to sound flippant. I mean like just follow the trend lines. And the trends will go as long as they will. And at some point they'll turn around and that's your exit signal. Yeah. And it, it's so, when I tell people this, they usually roll over, their eyes roll and they glaze over. It's like trading can be really easy if you just let it work, right? If you just go with the flow, 
if you go with, and that's why we always start with the market, right? I'm not going to put on any sort of bullish trade until the market is bullish. So I'll put on bearish trades and I'll just let those stocks continue to go into the ground as long as I can. And then eventually they'll start to turn around and you get out. In fact, um, let me put on, let me put on a trade I did in, uh, in uh, Peloton. It's so interactive. This is like my, I think my first time seeing all this screen sharing. It's great. It's great. Dude, this, this is what I do. Like I said earlier, my, my business is creating we content. We just switched so I'm, platforms. I'm all about this. <laughs> so this is the first, I mean, I've seen it before, Justin, but it's the first time on the new platform that you've, yeah, very exciting. Bells and whistles. I just use Zoom. I'm surprised you guys, you know, you've got a, a fancy platform here. Yeah, I really like this interface and I like, um, I mean, for, for those of you interested in podcasting, this records everybody's voice as a separate channel, so we can change all of that. And then all the videos are recorded separately, so we can put it together as a final product. And um, Zoom compresses all the voices, yeah. so, you, so it just gives a little bit better audio. But see, I like the simplicity of that. Sure. I just like one thing to download. Yeah. yeah. It's a free plug for... All right, so let me, let me walk you through my trade here in Peloton. <laughs> yeah. So here in Peloton, as you can see, like I said earlier, the moving averages are all pointing one direction, right? They're all pointing down. This line here, uh, let me move this green circle. That was our entry point at March 1st at 2738. And I like to tell people, I'm not a perma bear, perma bull, perma anything. I'm an opportunist, right? If it's going down, I'm just going to go with it. I'm not going to tell it which way. I'm not going to Im imply my assumptions to it. So it's going down and... Uh, literally just letting it work, right? And then it reaches uh, a point where I'm ready to add a second position, which is this next green line here at March 4th. And then it continues to do its thing. And now I had planned to add into uh, two more positions on these blue lines here, but FinClub, which says that artificial intelligence state I mentioned earlier, did not agree with uh, the charts that we're showing right here, which like I said earlier, actually kept me out of trouble because then I would have had two uh, two parts of the trade that were losers as it reversed back the other direction. So yeah, I, and like I say, I keep metic meticulous notes and every every chart I have, I take a screenshot and keep that forever just to make sure that I know what I did. But I was following the five day, which is the gray line. And once it closed above the five day, which was right here, once it closed there, I'll even draw a circle on it for you. Yep. That was the exit point. That was the exit point. Uh, we made over 100% on this, and that's just how it goes. You know, you let it run as long as it can, and then you get out. And then, um, you know, I, I'm definitely not saying that that I win everything, not at all. In fact, my win rate this year is about 33%. Uh, but there are times where a trend is going, and you can't fight it. You can't. You also have to just let it run, right? Which is a hard thing to do when you see those open profits. And maybe you guys have experienced that too, right? You're like, oh, what am I going to do? This is working This is working too good. I have to take my money now while it's there, right? And then you miss out on the move continuing on. And so that's, that's one of those trading psychology things is you have to play in the trade, start to finish. And before I even put on the trade, I know where I'm getting in. I know where I'm getting out. I know exactly my risk and everything. And that's so crucial. That way, that way when, when something happens... You're not scared. You're not panicking. You're not worried. You're like, okay, I, I, I'm, I'm out. No problem. Is what it is. Uh, I, I, the other day, I don't know why I was looking for this, but I was uh, finding like Wall Street bet trades, like the worst losers out there. And there are some brutal ones, right? Where, where you see the people, they put it on. And I don't know why these people record themselves. I've always not understood why people put things on the internet that shouldn't be on the internet. But the trades are not working for them. And you see them like in a sweat and a panic. They're like, I have no idea what I'm doing. But that's because I didn't position size correctly, right? If you position size correctly, if it goes against you, you just deal with it. Part of this too, you know, we talked about uh, adding into positions, right? You start with one unit. Like I said, unit size can be anything for you. But that also is basically the point where you're, you're going to lose is on your first position size. So imagine with me, you've got a trade, you're long Apple, Apple's not working out for you and it goes back down and you take a loss, but you only have one position on, you only have one unit on. 
But then you put on a new trade, you go short Apple, and you put on one unit, and it's working. And then you put on another unit, and it works. And you put on a third unit, and it continues to work. So at that point, you're going to have three winners, which are going to compound for you. But if you have a loser, you're only going to lose on your first position, your first unit size, which makes this way easier because you're structuring it in a way where you lose small and win big. Yeah. Does that make sense? You know, it does, I guess. But for someone, I don't trade options all that much. I think I have a bare minimum understanding, right? But I think as you're kind of talking through it, I'd be curious what happens, you know, with the folks that you usually trade with or are learn, are, are helping learn. You know, if they're not trading options, I'm trying to think about it in terms of, of, of anything but options, right? I could be buying a futures contract or commodities contract or just you know common shares and i'm trying to think about it that way as well and it's not that i mean i don't know i'd love your your opinion on that as you're talking through that with some of your folks absolutely i mean everything that we do top to bottom can be applied to a futures contract an option contract or the stock outright I mean, you can short sell to be short or you can buy puts, right? You can go long the stock and with the same thing, your stock size still has a unit size, right? I assume you're going to be buying 100 shares. That's your first unit size. And if it works for you, you double that. But you're putting up a lot more, a ton more of capital by buying the stock outright versus going with an in-the-money call, right? And even if you're only putting up 50% margin, you know, our example earlier with Apple, you're still going to be putting up $7,000 on 50% margin, and I might be buying a call for $700 and getting pretty much a similar similar yeah. outcome. Right. But my losses, I'm going to keep them really small. The most I could lose on it, right? If everything went all to hell, the most I'm ever going to lose yeah. is the contract. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's... <laughs> but again, then now you're back to position sizing, right? You could be the Wall Street bets guy that put the seventy thousand dollars into, you know, the same and and then that's yeah, whole, I mean whole account. <laughs> I, I played that, right? Last year in AMC. I doubled my money in AMC, but I also like didn't YOLO into it either, right? It was just it set up and I was like, oh okay, cool, I'll play this too. And so I did and it worked. Um that doesn't mean you can't play those. Man, I would since you since you keep meticulous notes, I'd love to see what your relative strength <laughs> scanner said about AMC last January. I bet yeah, it was there was one pretty um, funny to look at. There was one recently uh, that came across my my screen. Um, I forget what it was, but it was like a thousand percent, right? Because the spy's going down. This thing's rocket, you know, mooning, and uh, I was like, oh dang. <laughs> but you know, uh, I wasn't going long anything because the market's going down. So you just yeah. Or you trade cash, right? You hold cash. Yeah. So, you know, not, I'm sure that this doesn't come up that often. So it's probably not a dumb, it's, it's probably not a good topic to go down. But when you see outliers like that, does that kind of raise a red flag or your antenna to actually stay away from it rather than look into it more? And, and like, does it say to you that this is going to be a big winner or man, there's something, there's something not right with this. I, Imagine GameStop when it went from $5 to $20. Would you have said, no, I'm not going to get into that. And it went up to $450. Yeah. You can't. Totally. But yeah. I mean, there's such a game of chasing. You're like, this is, it shouldn't be $20. Are you going to step in front of that train? Or are you going to uh, ride the train? Right. But when you right, saw right, that, right. like on your on your like your relative strength uh, workbook, I mean, I'm sure day after day in that instance, it's going from ninety five percent, and then boom, it's at one hundred and fifty percent, right? And then you're like, this is it's at two hundred and fifty percent, and then it's at three hundred and fifty percent. I mean, at some point, I guess you probably may hop in, but when you start seeing that stuff, I mean, is your initial reaction? I need to look into this, I need to back test this, or is it that is so far out of whack that I'm going to stay far away from it? I would absolutely jump into it. Jump into it as long as it fit everything else, right? It, right, has, right, to, right. it has to align. It has to align with all, all my risk equal. parameters. Sure. But yeah, like I said, with, with AMC, right, you mentioned the relative strength. That's why I also include the relative strength delta, because if it's going from 
80 to 100, 250, whatever, the relative strength, the rate of change is growing. It's the growing. gas pedal yeah. is mashed down. At some point, it's going to slow down, mm -hmm. and that's okay. It's going to start to be pressing the, the brake pedal. And, you know, just by using math, I'm not doing anything. If you want, like, a high-level comparison between the two, look at your RSI on any stock. Let's call it 50. You look at RSI on the SPY, let's call it 37. The relative strength on that stock is higher than the SPY. That's it. That's, in a nutshell, how it works. But I just add, uh, I, I do all the calculations on one spot, right? I'm not, you know, going line by line looking at every chart. And plus, like, I've talked to some traders that they'll spend hours on a weekend looking at charts, and I can't imagine doing that. <laughs> when I hear, I talked to Ryan Pierpont. So Ryan, a uh, really, really cool guy. I don't know if you guys have had a chance to, to network with him, but uh, he placed third in the U.S. Investing Championship two years in a row. And uh, he was talking about how he, on the weekends, will look at 2,000 charts. And I'm like, why? Just run a scanner. If it matches all the trend lines, if it matches all those uh, moving averages, that's all I need to know. I'm not going to sit there and look for a visual pattern because to me, I, I'm more data driven where other people can be more art driven. Blaine, maybe you're more art driven. Totally. Right? Yeah. Where, where it's a pattern. <laughs> I can't see those at all. <laughs> not at all. But I can see a moving average and see if it's above or below that. That's easy for me. That's a lot of charts. Did... Um... Where are you doing all your networking? On Twitter, basically. Yeah. Oh, cool. uh, it, 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 it's so amazing, right? I, being the, the, the fact that I've, I've talked to these ludicrously wealthy people and they've basically taught me how to trade. And I tell people every day, you know, I'm just sharing what the market wizards have imparted upon me. They, they've doused me in their knowledge and I'm just sharing the good news is how I, how I describe it. But it's like uh, we get to learn how to trade from the greats as if we were learning how to build a car from Henry Ford, right? It's the most amazing thing. We're, we're beyond blessed today with podcasts, mm -hmm. with Twitter, with the fact that we can actually run into these people on a day-to-day -day basis that uh, a decade ago, our parents' generation never could have happened. Just think how fortunate you are right now, like being able to access the markets how easily you can get into and out of trades and your grandparents never had a chance to do this. Cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I certainly learned a lot and enjoyed talking to you and I'm, I'm really glad we can make this happen. By accessing this podcast, you acknowledge that the Penny Lane podcast makes no warranty, guarantee, or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information featured in this podcast. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only, and any reliance on the information provided in this podcast is done at your own risk. This podcast should not be considered professional or financial advice. Unless specifically stated otherwise, the Penny Lane podcast does not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any information, product, process, service, or organization presented or mentioned in this podcast. And information from this podcast should not be referenced in any way to imply such approval or endorsement. The third-party materials or content of any third-party site referenced in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the opinions, standards, or policies of the Penny Lane podcast. The Penny Lane podcast assumes no responsibility or liability for the accuracy or completeness of the content contained in third-party materials or on third-party sites referenced in this podcast or the compliance with applicable laws of such materials and or links referenced herein.